Welcome to the Center Church Dubai. We are a church built and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ours is the story of a faithful God who saved imperfect people by His grace, united them by the love of Christ, and sent them out to bring many more to Him. Thanks for joining us. Let me start off with significant experiences. Now, we've all had certain significant experiences in our, in our lives. Moments that forever changed uh, our lives, changed the course of our lives. For me, one of, one of those events was in 2012, when I met the woman who became my wife. Now, for some, it could be a job that's longed for. Perhaps a child that was born. But I want you to think about that one moment when you truly heard about Jesus Christ. When your heart received him. Look, whatever said and done, to hear about the unique person of Christ, of Jesus Christ, and what he came to do is like a fork in the road of life. You cannot hear about Jesus and remain the same. It's impossible. It was six years ago for me, this month, when I came to faith. It's never been the same. We cannot remain the same after hearing about Jesus. Brothers and sisters, we are past pretension. We are past uh, living in denial. Scripture is clear on this. One or the other, we choose. And especially for us who have been exposed to the gospel, we have heard the good news, the life and work of Christ. We do not have a choice of remaining in oblivion. Today we will complete our study of this chapter, Luke chapter 12, by looking at the last section of it in verses 49 to 59. Now in this section, Jesus teaches something that often, often surprises us. Because it doesn't fit with his caricature of him that we have in our mind. It, it's not in his nature. It doesn't fit in it. I came to divide, not peace. And if you remember, and I, and I hope and trust that you do, the preceding sections in the same chapter, you would have noticed themes of uh, Jesus explicitly asking his hearers to not fear. Do not fear. To acknowledge him before men. How one should not find the satisfaction in the things that he or she is surrounded with. Not take comfort in them. He constantly repeats the need to not be anxious. And it was the same thing that even in the prayer of confession we had. Do not be anxious. And last week, the message was to be ready. To be prepared for the Master's return. And today we shall attempt to understand these 11 verses, 59, sorry, 49 to 59 in two sections. And Jesus expects his hearers, he expected his hearers then, who were around him, surrounding him then, and us, as we heard the gospel being read out. He expects us to be aware of divisions that would arise. And he's also expecting us to be watchful of the times. And the first part is from 49 to 53, and the second from 54 to 59. 
Now, together, these two sections enable us to understand Jesus' warnings. If you look at, if you start with 49 to 53, Jesus starts with mentioning that he has come to cast fire. Come to cast fire on earth. And then he goes on to say that he has come to cause division, not peace. Does this not seem very surprising coming from a person who's known to be the Prince of Peace? We have songs about him, Prince of Peace. And he's saying, no peace, division. The angels proclaimed about him at his birth, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. He told his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And Paul describes in his letters, he describes God as the God of peace. Wishing peace upon those whom he is writing to. Peter, John, Jude, they all make similar statements. God of peace. So how can it be that Jesus in this passage says that he did not come to grant peace on earth, but rather, he goes on to say, but rather division. Now, it's common for people who, especially those of us who probably come from families where um, there's some exposure to the Christian faith, to think that they know what Jesus is like, what he taught, even though in reality they do not really know who he is. There's no relationship. We have ideas of him. And the understanding of Jesus is often skewed because people generally only know what is repeated most often in popular culture, not what scripture talks about Jesus. You've all seen it, right? The picture, uh, painting or otherwise, of Jesus gently standing outside a door and being meek and humble and patient, he's knocking on the door. Yes, he is patient, absolutely. He is more patient with us than we ever deserve. It is a fact. But there's a tendency to, it's a little uh, haze. Not to mention his resurrection, almost mythical. It's talked about in those terms. Those terms. The Jesus of popular culture is like a lamb, safe, cute. It's a good thing that passages like this exist. This is a wonderful blessing. So we can understand a different size of, uh, side of Jesus. He is a lion, not just a lamb. He became man for a very specific reason, a very specific purpose, that he would bring peace to all those who would believe, believe and follow him. But it would be judgment to all those who do not. There's two aspects of it. The truth is this. Sin is an, is an heinous rebellion against God and his laws. When Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice, as the necessary sacrifice to redeem man from sin. And his death on the cross demonstrates how wicked sin really is. The cross is a symbol of how wicked sin really is and how much God hates it. And when on that third day, when Jesus rose from the dead, when he resurrected, he shattered the bondage of sin. Death for mankind gives hope for redemption, forgiveness and eternal life with him. This is the plan he has, eternal life with him. For who? 
for all that repent and believe. Promise and his promise return is the most wonderful thing that can ever happen. Sounds wonderful, right? But it will also bring judgment as mentioned before on those who do not obey the gospel. He is to return as the lion. Yes, Jesus did come to bring peace to men. But such peace requires a reconciliation between man and God. And then man and between, between men. The gospel of Jesus can do both, by the way. Reconciliation between man and God and between us. But there cannot be peace with those who reject it. They will remain at enmity with God and his wrath upon them. And they will also hate the righteous. Why? Because they hate God. They hated God first. Notice in Luke 12:49, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Jesus expresses his desire that the fire of that day of judgment was already kindled. Why? For it would bring about the culmination of the ages and righteousness would reign. But however, as pointed out in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He would first have to fulfill a baptism that was causing him distress. This is a direct reference to crucifixion. And he uses the same anal analogy of baptism for his suffering and crucifixion in Mark 10, verse 38. Baptism. And Jesus had already told his disciples about this when they were in Caesarea Philippi. We, we saw that in Luke 9. This is the only way that mankind could experience peace. For Jesus' atonement on the cross is the means by which man is redeemed. Man is forgiven, reconciled with God and adopted into his family. The only way. And Jesus' bodily resurrection proves his claims and establishes his authority over everything. And without this reconciliation, there cannot be peace with God. But with this reconciliation, there is peace with God and with other believers. Other believers. He is the Prince of Peace and he will bring division too. He tells men to lay up treasures in heaven, but they are to give up the treasures on earth. The Israelites had forgotten this. The people who were hearing him at that time, they forgot this. They had neglected or overlooked the sequence of events which was to bring in the kingdom of God. They all looked forward to the day of the Lord as the day of salvation, rejoicing and blessing. They looked forward to it. But they forgot that the day of the Lord began with judgment. This is what the prophet Amos reminded them in Amos 5, 18 to 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and, and a bear met him. And went, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? The Lord's coming also had a cost. 
cause of, for those who do not believe in him. While he is the Prince of Peace, he is also the source of division. He will cause great division among men, even within families. Within families where the bond of union is most intimate and intricate. This isn't a popular message, but this is what he said. Jesus was very clear on one thing, that not everyone would resent, uh, everyone would embrace his gospel. Many would resent him and respond with anger and gratitude. It is with this in mind that he told his disciples that believing in him would have a sort of polarizing effect on them, on everyone around them, even to the point of dividing families. Verse 52 to 53, For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now the division that which Jesus speaks of here is interesting in, in many ways. And we start with, the first one, there's a division that occurs within the family, in which, as mentioned earlier, the closest human bonds are found. And second, there's a polarization, as mentioned before, which it, it's, it's like, one, it's not just one against one. And in Jesus' word, it's one against four or two against three. It's, it's not one against one. Those who have come to faith in Christ will join together. While those who have rejected Christ will also find a bond together. A new basis of unity in opposition to Christ. You want to see how this works out? The Sadducees and the Pharisees did not like each other. And that's an understatement. But they came together in rejecting Christ and calling for his crucifixion. And third, the division described out in these verses are all within a family, but also crosses lines of authority. Fathers have authority over sons, and mothers have authority over daughters. And, but allegiance to Christ takes precedence over all other authorities, all other allegiances. But normally we would expect that uh, the Christian's faith would enhance his or her uh, obedience to those in authority. We see scripture teaching that in Ephesians. But there will be times, make no mistake, there will be times when we must obey God rather than men. And in these instances, his ultimate responsibility is to God. Sins and joy of obedience um, in, in, in this life, faith in him, faith in him will produce persecution. That's a guarantee. It's one of the guarantees of Jesus. You follow him, persecution will follow. Make no mistake, there will be infinite joy and pleasure in heaven, but there will also be pain and persecution for Christians on earth. This is one of the central themes of Peter's first letter. The Christian's perspective should be, should be like that of Apostle Paul. Pain, trials of life, nothing compared to the joys of heaven. Second Corinthians. There is a price to discipleship. 
and jesus jesus does not belittle this price in light of the magnitude of the price of this discipleship there's a price to discipleship but he does not minimize the suffering in light of the price of discipleship there is no way that we can avoid pain and suffering the one who follows christ will suffer now but will experience limitless joy in heaven later now once jesus makes his statement on the division that is to come because of his who he is and his work he continues on to call the hearers attention to the need to be watchful of the times from verses 54 to 59 and he begins he begins by rebuking the crowd in luke 12 54 to 56 He also said to the crowds uh, this is verse 54 he also said to the crowds when you see a cloud rising in the west you say at once a shower is coming and so it happens and when you see the south wind blowing you say there will be a scorching heat and it happens you hypocrites you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky but why do you not know how to interpret the present time if you ever looked at the weather report there's usually a 10 day report over there looking at the clouds the state of atmospheric pressure in the area we can accurately uh, to some extent to a great extent we can predict the weather and praise god that we can do so we can look deep into the skies into the vast expanse of space see the wonders of god's creation and yet yet we don't see him we're not reminded that this is his handiwork why is it that despite being masters at finding out things we fail at realizing what's the state of the world and he's reminding them of that why do we not see the issues at hand why do we not see the warnings of jesus can't get more clearer than this jesus uses this to rebuke his hearers as being hypocrites not because they were paying attention to the weather that's not the point but they weren't applying the same amount of mental energy to the things that matter <clears throat> to the things of god they were pretenders their ability to predict the weather gave them a pretense of being observant intelligent and knowing the future but they but they failed to observe the the more important events that were happening right in front of them proved that they were neither observant nor intelligent they weren't paying attention to the obvious signs and he's asking them to judge look why do you not see this what about you do you see it the religious traditions had blinded them from seeing the signs that the messiah was right in front of them was among them walking among them and this was not the first rebuke jesus uh, had given for such spiritual blindness and it certainly would not be his last people are led astray so easily by cultural customs family tradition societal stand remember that jesus
scriptures and the God who gave them that. Turned to customs, traditions and standards of man. This was the reason for the constant conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders of that day. Jesus kept the, kept the law perfectly. God's law, which is perfect, he kept it perfectly. But because he did so, he was in conflict. Conflict with their traditions, interpretations and practices. The perfect man kept God's law perfectly. But he would not keep their religious traditions. They should have known the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And easily seen that Jesus was fulfilling these prophecies. The religious leaders knew that he would be born in Bethlehem. And miracle after miracle when Jesus was performing them, he was declaring his authority over what? Over disease and sickness. Lepers, he healed. With just a touch, sometimes a word. Nature, calming the storm. Demons. Over sin. He forgave sin and death. And they had the audacity to say that he did all this by the power of Beelzebub. And the preposterous part is this, that Jesus had already pointed to the crowd that the queen of the south that traveled a long distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon, someone greater than that, wisdom itself, God himself is among them and they were blind to it. Church, are you paying attention? The Gentile people of Nineveh repented when Jonah came and preached to them. But these people were not even repenting, though they were in the one about whom scriptures wrote. Again, I ask you, church, are you paying attention? And Jesus goes on in verse 57. Why do you not judge for yourself what is right? Why do you not judge for yourself what is right? They should have thought for themselves, as Jesus said. We should have thought for ourselves. Their leaders were guilty, but so were the followers who followed them. Look at the evidence. Judge rightly. My brothers and sisters, do not be swayed by the thinking of the experts. We all like to be consumers. Someone is ready to give us information and we just gobble it up. We want to let others be responsible for coming to the right answers. But Jesus is very clear here. The important truths, that which matter. Seek. Seek the truth. God reveals truth to those who are seeking. Truly seeking. We are all responsible to search the scriptures and, if to, and to see if what is taught is true. He expects us to be like the Jews in Berea. We know that from Acts 17. Paul, Paul came and preached to them. They heard the message, went back, searched through scriptures and found them to be true. This is how we ought to. This is how we ought to approach scripture. We have a responsibility to study the word. The word of God is the word of God is so readily available now. But can it be said that there's never been a time in history where this very word is ignored the most? 
We all have this. What's it being used for? But neither are we to be so dependent upon the teaching of others that we just tend to believe whatever we are told. Do not just be consumers. Judge for yourself as Jesus asks us to do. Judge for yourself. God gives us the spirit to teach us and he therefore holds us accountable for our conclusions. The multitudes who heard Jesus thus had the weight of responsibility for the actions placed on themselves. And that responsibility is on each, of, each one of us too. Verse 58 and 59. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. The last two verses of our text uh, almost seem out of place. Judge for yourself and taken to the magistrate. Now the way it's used is in a way that appears to be quite different from the way it's the same statement is used in Matthew 5 from verses 22 to 26. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift in the, at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now before we consider the difference in the way Jesus uses this illustration in Matthew 5 and in Luke 12, let's take note of the similarity. In both the texts, the motivation is what? The fire of hell. God's judgment. Now, uh, in light of the fire of hell, one should have a greater incentive to quickly reconcile with his brother. Knowing that anger, anger itself towards one's brother is deserving of eternal damnation. So too, in our text for today, in Luke, the fire which our Lord has come to bring is a strong incentive. In Matthew's text, it may well be that our adversary, our adversary, our opponent, with whom we should quickly be reconciled, may well be our brother. But who is the adversary in our text for today? Who is he talking about? To understand this, let's look at verses 51 to 53. And in verses 51 to 53, it speaks of division um, between family members. But the division between family members is a result of the response to the gospel. Now reconciliation in this instant is impossible apart from everyone coming to faith, to believe in Christ. And so this here is a serious warning because in this context, it's a direct reference to eternal judgment in the context of Luke. 
what they should do in matters of this life what they should do in matters of this life in resolving conflict is even more crucial in matters of eternal life you are guilty and you need to be reconciled with god now he has already provided the means by this for this to happen he paid it himself your part is to repent change your mind about yourself sin and righteousness and in humility confess your sin asking for forgiveness based on what based on faith in him and his finished work upon the cross and then follow him if you do not mercy at the day of judgment second thessalonians chapter 1 8 and 9 makes it clear that the lord will deal out deal out what retribution to those who do not know god god and to those who do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus christ these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the lord and from the glory of his power church here is your clear warning an explicit warning to be in right standing with him we cannot be calling ourselves christian and not be christian it's time to ask yourself am i loving like the way christ loves am i serving like the way christ has served me he commanded us to serve am i doing so with what heart am i doing considering luke 12 and in light of uh, matthew 5 that we read that i read out earlier the message here is clear to be in right standing with god involves being in right standing with fellow brothers and sisters too there may be some who think that god should be pleased with how much you do some of you may think that god must be so happy that i make time for him when you know when whenever you can surely he understands how busy you are understand this unless you have trusted in christ unless you have uh, trusted in his finished work on the cross and put him first in your life you will stand before the judge of the universe and will be declared guilty there's no other way to look at it it is what scripture says there's no sugar coating this because at that time it will be too late earlier in my life before i became a christian a dear friend and a brother asked me do you think you would go to heaven i had the audacity to say i would did my life reflect a desire to prepare for his return no did my actions did my words did anything about me reflect this reality that i boasted in an absolute no and yet yet i made that preposterous statement i knew a lot about christ but i did not know him i had a resemblance of a christian brother sister is this you today be honest with yourself ask where is your confidence and in what have you placed your confidence
even as you partake in the breaking of bread today are you looking inward are you looking inward to see if there is something you need to resolve is there something you're harboring in your heart that should not be how are you dealing with relationships in your life at your workplace among friends among relatives are they seeing the longing you have for the master's return ask yourself is your uh, are you eagerly awaiting the lord's return does that matter to you if you are then you would be preparing too is your devotion to understanding god's word spending time with him does it how about in this church itself we say church is a family the body of christ how are you treating each other how about remembering each other during the week praying pleading encouraging exhorting teaching correcting people and being corrected are you engaged in this dear brother my dear sister being a christian is not a lonely journey it is only lonely if you work towards that and that is folly it's a journey together and we need each other why for the times are near we do not know when he returns but we are sure that he is he is returning do you have quiet times are you heeding the warnings of jesus consider these in your hearts during your quiet time or whenever else you take time out who is my treasure am i looking forward to his return does that excite me is it is it just a desire in me because it's the christian thing to do or am i actively preparing for it to receive the master and if you say yes to that what evidence is there what evidence is there in your life to show that you are preparing for it we cannot and we must not remain oblivious to this remember brothers and sisters we cannot afford to do so there's a difference in, in uh, between going to church and calling yourself a christian bible studies all that yes but actually putting jesus first in your life jesus called the people around him hypocrites because they spend a lot of time chasing after things that have no worth in eternity the question we all must ask ourselves each day is what would jesus call me ask yourself every single day what would jesus be calling me we all want to hear good and faithful servant are we living up to it if we want to understand god's will for us we have to spend time with him there is no shortcut to that this is why bible study prayer worship are so important coming together not just a commandment it is what it is we are forgetful beings by the way and we need reminders 
ever so often. We need reminders. That is why we have community groups that meet midweek. That is why we encourage that you reach out to each other during the week and not just make plans on Sundays. We need each other. We need encouragement. It isn't enough for us to ask other people what God wants us to do. We have to seek to understand God for ourselves. Judge for yourself. He is asking us today, why do you not judge for yourself? Take a hard look at how we spend time. Jesus doesn't exist to make our lives easier. Today morning I was reminded that a, a Christian life is it's like a new wine in a new wineskin. Everything became new. So I can do a lot of things, preach, teach, serve, but I'll remain worldly, worldly if I'm not delighting, if I'm not abiding in Him. Preparing for the Master's return. Church, I urge you to pray earnestly for those who do not know the Lord. Church, I urge you to pray earnestly for those who do not wish to know the Lord. Church, prepare for the Lord's coming. Prepare for the Master's return. Sermon after sermon we hear, let it not go to waste. Prepare. If you're already a believer, thank God. Thank God and thank God for Jesus and what he has done for you and persevere. But if you're not, take that initiative. Pursue the truth yourself. Come talk to us. Seek the truth. He is inviting you to do so. So I ask you this again. Are you truly preparing for the Master's return? We hope you were encouraged by today's sermon. Please visit our website, cc-dubai.com, for more information on Center Church Dubai. If you know someone who will be blessed by this sermon, please share this podcast link so they can stay updated.